You're listening to the Candid Comms podcast with Rachel Miller. Tune in for practical advice and inspirational ideas to help you focus on all things internal communication related. Hello and welcome to the show. On today's episode, I am joined by a special guest, Advita Patel. Advita is the founder of Comms Rebel and she helps organisations cultivate inclusive cultures through effective communications so all colleagues can belong and thrive in their work. Advita is also an experienced confidence coach, podcaster, author and international speaker. Alongside Comms Rebel, Advita is the co-founder of A Leader Like Me and Calm Edge Rebels. In June 2023, she published, alongside her co-author Priya Bates, an Amazon bestseller, Building a Culture of Inclusivity. In 2023, it's just been announced that she will be the Chartered Institute of Public Relations, CIPR, president in 2025. Advita, welcome to Candid Comes. Thanks, Rachel. I'm really pleased to be here today. It's lovely to see you. Um, so we can see each other as we're recording today. Listeners, Avita has a wonderful purple background behind her. She is beautifully on brand, as we were just discussing before we were recording. Um, and today's episode really is focused on the exciting news about your upcoming presidency for CIPR. So we will dive into that particularly. But I'd like to start by turning the clock back a little bit could you share with listeners your internal comms experience? Because listeners of the Candid Comms podcast are in-house internal communicators around the globe. So I'd love to, before we go into what you're doing today, what's led you to this point, particularly from an internal comms lens? Wow, gosh. Okay, so I think like many internal communication professionals, it was never really my intention to work in this profession. I actually studied information technology at university and I wanted to work in tech. That was always been my desire. I've always been interested in technology and future of work. However, when I graduated from uni, it was the early 2000s, it was just that massive dot-com crash. And my specialism in my final year was website development, which in a way kind of makes sense now why I'm doing what I'm doing. But I couldn't get a role. I just could not get a job at that time. And it was really hard for a woman in the north of England to work in technology. And it was told to me quite frequently if I want to work in this space, then I either have to relocate and go and live in London or I have to pick something different. I did manage to get a job in IT eventually, and I just absolutely hated it. It wasn't what I expected it to be, wasn't as creative as I thought it would be. First time in my entire career, I quit. I quit that job. It was a really toxic environment. I think that was the first time I also realized that I never wanted to be in a position where I was stuck in an organization. I had really poor leaders in that place. And I wasn't really aware of what an office culture should be like, because my parents never worked for anybody. They've always worked for themselves. So we never had those traditional conversations at home. What I deemed as traditional, I've now found out not everybody has that privilege either. So I never really understood anything about CEOs and CFOs and how the office etiquette should be. I just assumed it was the norm, the behaviours that I was experiencing. So I left that job, went off to Kenya for a few weeks to discover myself at the age of 23. And before I went to Kenya, I applied for an admissions officer position at university in Manchester. And I was offered an interview and I got that role. So I became an admissions officer. And in that role, 
it was the first time I experienced a mentor and it was a woman called Catherine who was the head of marketing and she took me under her wing and asked me to go along to recruitment fairs you know where you recruit students and she said I had a natural knack for it and at that time I just started a master's in human resources so I already started that master's and then she said you know what you've got a bit of a natural knack for marketing so why don't you transfer your master's to strategic marketing and that's what I ended up doing so I studied strategic marketing part-time the master's while working full-time with Catherine's guidance and then I did that three years I worked with Catherine part-time as well as admissions officer role and I applied for communication manager jobs and then the role I ended up doing which was initially promoted as marketing officer was actually internal communications and I believe it was around that time I connected with you Rachel on what was formerly known as Twitter because I started to trying to discover what internal comms was. I wasn't aware of the profession at that time. And then from that point on, I just stayed within that profession and moved my way around. When was that, Peter? What year was that? I was trying to reflect this morning when we were first connected and I was really struggling to remember when we weren't connected. When when was that? So I connected with you when I moved to my third internal comms job, okay, which I applied for, where I was given the responsibility to create a brand new IC function. And I was a solo IC professional at that time. So the other jobs I had, I had like a little team and we kind of worked together and it wasn't purely internal comms. But the job I got in touch with you, which was about 2000, it was about 2009, 2008. I read your blog, actually. And that's when I found you on any blog wasn't called All Things IC then. It was called Life Through a 2.0 Lens because everyone was talking, <laughs> everything was 2.0 at that time. And then it was Diary of an Internal Communicator because Melkrum had asked me to blog for them. Melkrum don't, don't exist anymore. So yeah, it went through Life Through a 2.0 Lens, then Diary of an Internal Communicator, then became All Things I See ahead of me launching All Things I See as a business in 2013. I think that's the beauty of internal comms, isn't it? You can find people who are working out loud, who are sharing their thoughts, who are blogging and connect with each other. So thinking about that time, you you were then setting up a function, you were setting up everything internal comms related in, in an organisation. How exciting. It was. And it's terrifying as well. Of course. <laughs> it's terrifying to be given that responsibility in an organisation that was brand new to me. This is why I was seeking out other internal comms professionals to learn from each other because at that time in the northwest specifically there wasn't really a community of any type that I could lean into so I went to blogs you know the first step in those days was to kind of find who was blogging LinkedIn I don't know if it was around I can't remember being on LinkedIn yeah it was but it was very much here's my online CV I think I joined LinkedIn about 2007 so that's when you could create LinkedIn communities and it was it was very quiet it wasn't what it is today at all but it was kind of the first step in building community it felt like where you suddenly could connect with other in-house internal communicators and swap notes and say how do you do this and how do you do that so that beautiful ethos that we know today of people working out loud sharing connecting collaborating which we kind of take for granted today had a bit of a slow start, I think, in people sort of finding their way. When you find each other online, it was such a, oh, you also struggle with this. Yeah, me too. That really (laughs) helps uniting mindset, isn't it? It was definitely IC therapy, you know, knowing (laughs) that you weren't alone. For me, reading articles and reading blogs about internal comms, which is fairly, you know, I'd only been in the profession at that point, five years, still very new. It has definitely evolved to where it was. And then in 2010, 2011, I decided to 
become a volunteer for the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. And that's where that journey started. And I think you just stepped away from it on that year and I stepped in. That was transformational for my career joining the institute absolutely I think I was pregnant with my twins when I moved away from CIPR inside let's do a bit of jargon busting so CIPR is the Chartered Institute of Public Relations it has nearly 10,000 members worldwide and it's the world's only royal chartered body for PR practitioners of which of course internal communication is part of the family of PR and CIPR I think as a professional body and as a membership body certainly I found it incredibly useful to be a member over the years and to volunteer I know we're going to talk about volunteers in a moment I think being part of that community and helping to shape the profession for other internal communicators was something that was really important for me particularly when I was volunteering if we think about your internal comms history today it's kind of led you to a point where you were working in-house if I bring us up to date from in-house to where you are today what did that look like from an internal comms perspective so when did you decide to leave an in-house internal comms role? In 2018. I had a bit of a desire, I suppose, or a dream, if you want to call it that, but I never felt it was possible. Then in 2018, for the very first time, even from the very first job that was a bit toxic, I had a little bit of a confidence crisis. And I remember telling my friend that I don't know whether the communications industry is for me. Early on, so it's early, like January time in 2018, I was like, I think I might have to find myself or whatever. I had a bit of a wobble, a, a huge confidence crisis. I remember ringing my friend when I was driving to my new workplace because I started a new role and it was an hour's drive. And I just remember talking at her, not with her, <laughs> at her. <laughs> there's a difference. <laughs> there is a difference. I remember talking at her for a whole hour. And when I got to work, I was exhausted. And at that, when I sat in my car in the car park, I had a word with myself. And I said, you know, you've got the opportunity to make change happen. It's not on anyone else's watch. I thought, I can't carry on. I can't carry on my life in this way where I'm feeling uncertain about my future, where I've not got confidence in my abilities. I've worked hard to get to where I was by, you know, by 2018. And at that moment, I realized that I needed to do something about confidence, not in sense confidence in my abilities, because I knew I was good at what I did, but confidence in the sense of going for what I wanted. So I started to research confidence and imposter syndrome and inner critic and self-esteem and did everything I possibly could to find out what this word was and what it meant and why we felt it at certain times in our lives. And, and that's when I transitioned into a confidence coach. Because I was already coaching anyway, thanks to Catherine's mentorship in the early 2000s. I decided to train as a coach. And then I realized that actually I want to help others discover their confidence. Because I do feel, you know, to the point we had before, Rachel, about loneliness and isolation, internal comms can be lonely, you know, and especially as you get more senior in your role, it, it, you feel a bit left out. You're fighting all the time, sometimes in organizations to be seen as a strategic function at that level, to be invited into conversations. You know, you're you're balancing the yeses and the noes. You want to be helpful, but then you don't want anyone to take over. You're always trying to have to position yourself in such a way that it can be exhausting and it can be a bit lonely. And I realized that without meaning to, some leaders can knock the confidence away from you by undermining your decisions or not listening to what you have to say or not inviting you into rooms when they invite everybody else. And you have to continually push for that recognition. And I feel it's a little bit harder sometimes when you're underrepresented and a minority because you are one of very few people 
in that space that look like you or has that support. So I realized that confidence played a big part in the way communication professionals and HR leaders and other leaders may want to position themselves in a leadership function as they grow in their career. I think the visibility of internal communicators is so high inside organizations. It's something that I speak about a lot, but you are incredibly visible, particularly if you're a team of one as well, where you are trying to work strategically and you're advising your board and CEO and then you're also having to work tactically because if you are a team of one and I hate the phrase one man band I will never use that you are an independent practitioner inside your organization comms friends do not use the phrase one man band and for me I think there's you're right that that visibility brings with it some some vulnerability and it brings very often that lack of confidence if you are the only internal communicator inside your organization and you don't have that community to bounce ideas off and certainly that's something that's really important to me and to my team at all things I see where we are supporting through schemes like the inner circle where we're creating communities of people particularly who are working independently to come together and to support each other and nurture and advise each other so everyone can thrive because you are incredibly visible inside organizations Abita, let's turn to the publication of your book, if we can. So your book, Building a Culture of Inclusivity. I'm going to define the terms around inclusivity, if if I may, taking a quote from your book. So in Abita's book, she writes, inclusive internal communication enables powerful connections, demonstrates curiosity and cultivates belonging through two-way engagement. This results in trusted, clear and effective communication, allowing people to thrive in their work and impact organizational performance. I love that as a quote. I think that's gorgeous. I've actually quoted that in my book. I've quoted oh. you. <laughs> you. You're in prayer in my in my book that's coming out. Um, so thinking about your book, what prompted you to write it? Oh goodness. You know, it's such a funny story because I just finished reading Ruchika Tolshian's book called Inclusion on Purpose, an incredible book. So if anyone's interested in inclusive cultures uh, outside of communications, then Ruchika's book is is a fab starting point. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, Thank you. I read Ruchika's book and then DM'd her on Instagram telling her how much of an impact it made on me because her book was her book is aimed at women of colour specifically, because we're the one of the largest minorities that are visible who are sometimes not recognized in terms of their characteristics. So that's a bit of a mouthful. So basically what I mean by that is that. If you have a disability, it can be hidden sometimes and you don't need to declare it. If you sexuality, you don't need to often declare it. Because of the intersectionalities of being a woman and then being a woman of colour, we often face more discrimination sometimes than other characteristics. So she decided to focus her book on women of colour because she said, if you can address the challenges facing this minority group, then other minority groups will always benefit as well. So that's what I found quite interesting. What a powerful statement. Yeah, really powerful. So I messaged her and said, I really resonated with your book. It meant a lot. And she messaged me back, you know, and she's like, thank you so much. I want more women to feel empowered and energized about some of the work they do in leadership. And her background was actually journalism. And she told me that she goes, you know, I started off my career in journalism. I've actually done some work in communication. So I completely understand some of the challenges that, you know, the communication industry faces when it comes to work around equity, diversity, inclusion. We need more people to talk about it. And that kind of sparked an idea in my head. And I remember messaging Priya and said, I've got an idea. Let's have a chat and see what you think. And I got on a call with Priya and I said, um, 
I feel like we need to write a book about the work that we've been doing over the last few years around inclusion. And Priya's response was, no, no, I'm not interested. I don't want to write a book. How did you feel when she said oh, no? Oh, my goodness. You know, the thing is, Rachel, I can persuade people, like, you know, and help them understand the contribution they may be making to our industry <laughs> such a formal way. So I said to Priya, okay, let's do step by step, right? So we don't know if we're going to get a book deal or not. From what I hear from other authors, it's it can be tough and it needs to hit the market in the right way. It has to be something that is needed. So why don't we just do step by step? Let's put down our ideas and then we'll approach Kogan Page and submit it, you know, and see what they say. And she's like, okay. On that day, actually, we just crafted, it took us an hour to craft our chapter uh, synopsis. Uh, and then we submitted it thinking that we probably won't hear from them for months. Three weeks it took. Three weeks they got in touch and we signed the contract. From the moment we submitted to the moment we signed that contract, it was just over three weeks. And Priya was like, wow, thanks, Advita. We now need to write a book. And they, they as you'll know, Rach, they've got very strict deadlines in oh, terms yeah. of when the books need to be submitted. So they wanted us to start immediately so we signed in June 2022 and we finished writing the book similar timescales to you in early December 2022 and people like how did you write a book in five months when you're running a business I was like I'm not gonna lie it's not easy to write a book we wanted to go with Kogan Page specifically because they are very focused on deadlines and if we don't have those deadlines against the deliverables we know we probably wouldn't have done it because it is undertaking writing a book and especially when you're writing about equity diversity and inclusion on a global scale because we wanted to make sure that we had the right data facts the policies the legal elements of it all of that from a global perspective it is tough right and we never wanted to take anyone down a different path that's incorrect or misinformation or disinformation or anything like that so we were even more focused on making sure that we had our sources accurate and we were quoting and connecting people to resources that were true you know and, and were factual it sits really heavy doesn't it I sit, it sit that responsibility I think I really I'm really resonating with what you're saying I feel it felt everything we do is as communicators anyway we have to be credible accurate reliable we're fact checking we're sourcing you know whatever we're doing in-house or as consultants you're double checking yeah, everything all the time and even though I've written a blog for 14 years when you know your words are going to be in a book it makes you triple check not just double check and especially when you're quoting something that's like communications element of the book was great so we knew that the comms due diligence was going to be spot on to your point we're extremely experienced in that right we do it all the time it was the the equity diversity inclusion part that we were like are we quoting the right resources here? Can we just double check, triple check, make sure the sources are accurate, then double check the source, you know, especially with stats. Like, has somebody just made that stat up? Oh, it was, it was a big undertaking. But one of the best things, and Priya will say this now as well, it's one of the best things we've ever done for ourselves, but also we believe for the industry. The feedback we've had from that book has been incredible. And we're just in awe of the decisions people have made in terms of building more inclusion based on the suggestions and recommendations we've given in the book that's something to be super proud of for, for the pair of you I'm really proud of you. <laughs> it's for me to be proud of you but I just seeing what you're doing I think 
you know, in these really visible roles that we have inside organisations, when you're trying to advise and guide your organisation in the right way, I think to have access to really solid, robust, researched content that you can pick up and have at your fingertips and then make informed decisions inside your organisations that help your employees to thrive incredible I think that's such an important thing to be able to do and and I applaud you for doing it I think it's wonderful I think I think the body of work that you and Priya are doing is to support and nurture and guide um, organizations and particularly communicators as well as we try and navigate through with stakeholders and understand what it means to communicate in a really inclusive way brilliant hats off to you thank you so, Vita, thinking about CIPR presidency, if we may, you are the first woman of colour to become CIPR president. Can I ask how your book inspired you for your upcoming CIPR presidency? Actually, Rachel, I'm the first person of colour in the 75-year history. Part of me is just in, in disbelief sometimes, but part of me is like not surprised you know, the industry isn't known for its diversity of colour. You know, the reports that the Chartered Institute of Public Relations has done before and then the uh, other membership institutions as well demonstrates that the industry is probably 94%, I think, white and the remaining percent of other minority groups. So it's not a surprise, to be honest. But the reason I wanted to step into the presidency role was I always believe that you need to lead by example. And I don't want to be the first and last. I want to help inspire anyone who feels that they may not belong or may not feel included in that industry to have hope. And Priya and I both say that we need to have hope over fear. The work that we do around inclusion, the work that we do around equity and diversity, and outside of that, right, the work we generally do to help make sure that our colleagues feel that they are adding value in some way and feel that their contribution means something. And as internal communication professionals, we're responsible for helping them do that. I wanted others to see me in that position and go, I'm going to put myself forward for that. I know I can and I know I will, you know, and this is candid, you know, candid podcast, but I've had a very turbulent relationship with the institution over the last, you know, the last decade I've been volunteering some peppered in frustration and annoyance, others the lack of progression in in some of the work that we do. And I have definitely seen a marked improvement in how they are working to improve the accessibility of the profession and ensure that people, no matter what their demographic or background is, feel included in the conversation. And I realised that I wanted to lead an institution like that and represent the members and take it to the next level. And that's the reason I wanted to kind of step into that that role. And I never really, you know, if I think back to myself in 2018, I was vice chair at that point for the inside group. I suppose, again, it was a little dream of mine to be president one day, but never felt I belonged. Did you feel that at the time? Is that something that you had an inkling that, but you didn't feel like you belonged why was that I never saw anyone like me at the board meetings right so the CIPR board meetings there were people who were so far removed from my reality that I never really thought I could ever be in those board rooms but thanks to the community around me and the support that I had around me it gave me confidence to keep on pushing forward for change and putting myself in positions that other people may not have felt was for them but I thought I need to kind of break that 
concrete ceiling that sometimes exists and not feel that I can't be there or have a voice in some way. When I decided to stand for board in 2019, it was because of my community. You know, we spoke about the isolation and the loneliness before. Once I started to work on myself and develop myself a little bit more, I invested in a coach, a mentor, you know, the confidence stuff started to peak. I set up a community called the Comms Hive. I know I've, I've shared with you, very kindly blogged about it at that time. Thanks to that community and the words of encouragement, it allowed me to kind of put myself out there and know that I'll always have people behind me applauding and championing and speaking about me in rooms where I may not have a voice at that time. And that's why I ended up becoming a board member for the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. And then this year, I thought, you know what, why, why not? Now, actually, I actually received um, a text message from a couple of women who are part of my Leader Like Me community, which is a, a business that Priya and I own together. And they messaged me because they'd been to the Chartered Institute of Public Relations AGM. They'd been talking about presidency and we would love to see you in this role. No pressure. No pressure at all. <laughs> and it was it was thanks to them. You know, so even though that we've been helping them to build their confidence and community and support, it's it's a two-way street. And the absolute support they give me and to Priya when we did the book and the work that we do is means an incredible amount. So it's thanks to the community, really, that I felt I could do that and put myself forward. And I'm really looking forward to getting stuck in to the president-elect and then presidency. I'm sure that they're going to be rolling their eyes. I've already started to question certain things already. I'd <laughs> be good on you, being a positive disruptor. <laughs> I know when you stood for president that you had some main aims that you want to address as during your tenure. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to dive in to find out more about what you're hoping to achieve through your presidency. See you in a moment. Candid Comms is brought to you by All Things I See. My brilliant team and I offer consultancy, training and mentoring to help you thrive in your internal communication role. You can choose from online learning, in-person and bespoke courses. Topics range from measurement to strategy and how to be an internal communicator. See allthingsic.com for more information and use the code CANDIDCOMS at the checkout to save 10%. If you're struggling with your internal communication, help is at hand. We can mentor you, conduct audits, advise on your channels and much more. Contact us via hello at allthingsic.com and we'll talk it through together. Welcome back. In the final part of today's episode, Evita and I are diving into what she hopes to achieve from her CIPR presidency. And it's fair to say when you stand for president, it's not a one-off thing. It's a three-year engagement that you have with the Chartered Institute. So you're going to be president-elect in 2024, then you will be president in 2025, and then you will be past president in 2026. So looking ahead, we have a good few years of you, Advita, to really try and, try and make a difference. But thinking about what led you to stand, um, obviously you were encouraged by uh, the ladies who contacted you that you've just, just shared. Thinking about why you stood and what you're hoping to achieve. Can you talk us through that? Because I know there were three aims that you had or three objectives that you had. My whole campaign, I suppose my statement, actually the rather than campaign, my campaign message was around accessibility and inclusion. And that was a given 
But what I also wanted to uh, acknowledge was that inclusion isn't just a standalone objective. You know, it's part of every single moment you have with the institution. From the moment you decide to join as a member to the moment you go along to events and training and chartership or whatever, you should always feel that you're included and you're having conversations and you feel safe. And this is what I want the institution to feel for some members who may feel that they don't have that space to explore their thinking, that the membership will give them that place where they can go in whatever they want to do and they feel connected, they feel safe, they feel that they can get the latest research and information to help enhance their career without friction, you know, without accessibility concerns, without having to worry about whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing. And most importantly, feeling energetic about it you know I feel like we we are losing that a little bit with everything that's going on the world is heavy right now it's really heavy and I would say for communication professionals internal and external and all the other kind of professions around it it's heavier you know we are having to consume the news that's out there we're having to break that down into some coherent message that is balanced we're having to advise our leaders on what they should say how they should say it making sure that not excluding certain communities and including others. And the balance is in critical in this space. In order for us to get that balance, we need to have a community that can support us to make sure that what we're saying and advising is fair and it's right. And I think that something like the Chartered Institute Relations should be there for those members to give them that guidance and help. And that was one of my big kind of messages in my statement to say that I want the institution to feel that it's accessible. So friction-free learning and friction-free access to training without any hoops that they have to jump through, without any challenges around cost. You know, there's so much more we need to do around accessible training for individuals who may not have that support from their organisations. It shouldn't stop them learning. And COPR, I think it's fair to say you don't necessarily need to be a member to go to the events and to access the advice and guidance. Obviously, lots of membership bodies available globally. From my perspective, I certainly see that CIPR try to open their doors to members and non-members alike. So it feels like you don't necessarily have to be a member to attend their training or their events, which I think is a good thing. Thinking as an internal communicator, and this is a candid conversation, I feel like very often there's not such a big space for internal communicators within CIPR and I know that this is a conversation that has been rumbling for a few years and and when there are the amazing volunteers for CIPR inside and Dan in my team has been the current chair of CIPR inside is just coming to the end of his tenure as we're recording it at the end of 2023 and creating space for internal communicators to feel like we have a voice within this wider sphere of PR I think is so important because it's very easy to feel like an afterthought, even amongst a professional body that seems to be focused on PR. So personally and professionally, I'm delighted to see more internal communicators like Jenny Field, like people who are internal comms practitioners stepping into the role of president over the past few years. I think it's wonderful to try and have more of a balanced conversation, actually, in in the world of PR as, as a whole about internal comms and the amazing value that it brings to organisations when it's done right and particularly to your quote on when it's done inclusively when you are really unlocking 
organizational performance when you're getting this right inside our organizations. So you stood with a, a mindset of creating an inclusive culture for people and for friction free learning. And the third one was around raising the importance of professionalism. And you highlighted chartership status. And you, in your aim, you said you wanted it to earn greater respect and reward. So for listeners who perhaps don't know what chartership is, can you tell us what it is and why it's important? Yeah, sure. So chartership is the one of the highest qualifications that you can receive from the Chartered Institute in terms of your professionalism. So it's a one full day assessment. You're assessed by other chartered professionals and you're assessed on leadership, strategy and ethics. And it's an intense day. You know, Rachel, you've done it. I've done it. And it's a day for you to explore your thinking with other professionals around those three topics on how you would address certain situations, how you would may manage complicated or conflicting uh, situations and, and what does that look like. And it's a really good opportunity to take all the experience and all the learning you've had in your career and bring it into a room where you're having a chat about how you may manage, like I said, difficult, complicated, convoluted leadership strategy ethics behaviors the reality isn't it it's the reality of life right you're faced with what what would you do in this particular situation and got to sink or swim really haven't you and it, you're right it's bringing forward your, your mindset and your skill set so it's looking at both of them isn't it how would you approach a situation ethically and with integrity and demonstrating leadership it is a really intensive day isn't it but wonderful actually great I really enjoyed it when I did it I definitely created a panic unnecessarily and I should be right because it's a it's a higher accreditation you need to have everything together not everyone passes you know it, it is robust in how it's managed and how you're assessed and people with the word assessed people freak out about it because nobody wants to be assessed but it is about having a conversation and how you would manage like I said certain situations in your workplace and it's important in my experience because if you look at the respect that chartered accountants receive, the chartered engineers, chartered architects, chartered HR professionals. We need business leaders in the world around us to recognize this important qualification. Of course, there's, you know, we need to do more around it in terms of making sure that, you know, you get a review every couple of years potentially. So you can track whether you're staying on top of your profession. We should be able to question and, and quiz people who've got chartership to make sure that they are not just using it as a as something and then keep it for 10 years. There's different things that we need to do to make sure it stays relevant. But we also need the professional world, the leadership world, the CEOs, the CFOs, all those individuals that we are working with to recognize it as a accreditation that's important. And we need to get them on our side for it to be seen as a, a, a viable qualification. And that's the reason I think some professionals, communication professionals believe that it's not important because no one ever asks for it. You know, when you apply for opportunities, I mean, we both work as consultants. I don't think I've had any client ever say to me, oh, are you, are you chartered? Because <laughs> they don't, they don't know. I think it's true, isn't it? So my, my whole team are chartered. So Dan, Caroline and I are obsessed with professional development I think it's fair to say because we value it the more that you improve the more that you develop yourself professionally the better you can serve clients and comms friends I, I feel I, I place huge importance on it I mentioned volunteers earlier and I really wanted just to ask you to share your thoughts on volunteers because we talked about CIPR inside earlier and we were both volunteers as part of that community which is 
a volunteer-led community for internal communicators to create advice and guidance for others, really, I think it's fair to say, members and, and non-members alike. So thinking about that volunteer community, um, can you talk about why you think volunteers are important? They're the crux of the organisations, you know, the memberships particularly, and CIPR wouldn't exist without the volunteers. You know, we need volunteers for various reasons, but one of the biggest reasons for me is the diversity of thought that they bring into the profession. You know, you could, the board are there and the council are there. That's the kind of structure they have with volunteers. But we need the group chairs. We need the regional volunteers to help us keep on top of the progression that's happening in the industry. And if we don't have that cognitive diversity around us, then we'll just stay static. And the volunteers bring a level of experience that we wouldn't be able to do by a very small number of folks. You know, the, the HQ at CIPR are incredible. You know, the staff members who work there are fantastic. But would they be able to do the things that they do without the volunteers in terms of experience and seeing what kind of conferences we should be hosting, what type of training should we need? No, not in a million years. I've had a few volunteers get in touch with me since my announcement to say that a little bit of energy has gone from volunteering. And I think from the pandemic and the pressures that we're under right now in our workplace, balancing hybrid and balancing family life and trying to just figure things out, the volunteering sector is struggling. And I don't blame individuals from stepping away from that because it is a lot to take on. What I want to try and do in my presidency year and even beyond that is to bring a little bit of energy and a bit of lightness into that role. You know, we should be able to go into a committee meeting and have a little bit of fun. We should be able to have a little bit of energy. We should be able to challenge without fear. We should be able to go into and explore different ways of working and be more creative and feel excited about it. You know, we, we sometimes in the workplace, we're kind of stuck in delivering what we need to deliver. Being able to go into a space like a volunteer role where you can explore different ideas and different creativity and take it back into the workplace to bring that energy in your workplace is quite powerful. And I would want to bring that back. And from what I'm hearing from volunteers, that is lacking a little bit. And I don't think that the Institute is alone in this. I think it's across the volunteering sector from the friends that work in the volunteering sector have similar experiences. So I feel that we definitely need to do more. I want it to be, an, again, theme inclusive. I want people to not worry about, am I the right fit? I hate that term. You know, it's, it's all about, are you the right addition? You know, are you the right addition? Do you have the same desires in taking the profession forward? Are you passionate about professional development? Do you want to learn from others and share? Because it's give and take, right? This, this kind of role. And that's what we're looking for. So if anyone is listening who thinks I would love to volunteer, I've got an interest in it, but I don't really know where to start, then please DM me. DM me on, on LinkedIn and let's get you like sorted with one of the committees or regions. There's so many different things you can get involved in. I never want anyone to think, I don't think I can belong in that space. I don't think it's for me. I want you to ask the question. I want you to get in touch with myself or the regional chairs and let's have a chat. I think that's important. I think that's important too. I love that. Thank you. I think with any professional membership, you get out what you put in. So if it feels like you're part of a membership body, and there are many, there's the Institute of Internal Communication, International Association of Business Communicators, Public Relations Society of America, all the acronyms, PRII as well in Ireland. There's so many incredible networks around the, around the globe supporting internal communicators. So I think always me that mindset is you get out what you put in. So if you feel like you want to have a really good 
membership of any of those organizations i think being able to put yourself forward is really important so i echo that if you are worried about volunteering or you you feel like is there a space for me create the space and be bold so to put yourself forward if you've got gifts to share which everybody has you know take a beater up on that and I think it wasn't for the membership you know and it wasn't for the fact that I came down to London for the AGM all those years ago I remember my friend Gemma taking me actually Gemma's like you have to go you have to be there I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today I wouldn't be talking with you today I wouldn't I wouldn't have written a book I want to start my business and the institution and the people that I met, you know, Jenny Field and Trudy Lewis are two of my very, very good friends. And I wouldn't have met them if it wasn't for the membership. I wouldn't have met you if it wasn't for the, the profession itself. And it's a really powerful place to be in terms of building a community and connection. And even though, like I said, there's been turbulent times and there's been times where I've been frustrated, it's one of the best things I've ever done for my career. And I will ever be grateful for the support of those individuals who make the membership what it is today. It's the volunteers that make it. And it's important that everyone who wants to have access has access to it. Marcus and Peter, thank you so much for spending time with us today on Candy Comms. It's been a pleasure to listen to you talk with such passion about the years ahead and what you're hoping to achieve. And if people want to keep in touch with you, where's the very best place to find you online? On LinkedIn or on Instagram. One of the best bits of having a unique name is you normally can find me quite easily. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous, Avita. Thank you so much for your time. I will include all of Avita's social links in the show notes at allthingsic.com forward slash podcast in the show notes for this episode. Avita, thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I hope you found this episode useful. As ever, I love hearing from you. You can find me online. Why not look me up, Rachel Miller, on LinkedIn? I'm Rachel All Things I See on Instagram. Or why not send me a message via the website, hello at allthingsic.com. I'd love to know what you are taking away from this episode and what you hope to do differently as a result of listening to Candid Comms. And remember, what happens inside? is reflected outside. See you again soon.